Lesson 9 for May 25 to 31, Times of Loss. And it's read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, May 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are there for us at any time in our lives. But there are times when we lose people, when we lose functions, when we lose part of our lives. And we come to you today as we open your word to find help, to find not just knowledge, but to find your grace and love and faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Let's read that again, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Yet again I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. The moment Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they experienced their first loss, the loss of innocence. And this lost innocence was replaced with selfishness, conflict, blame, and a desire for control and supremacy over each other. Shortly after the fall, they witnessed the first loss of life, when they were given animal skins to cover their nakedness. Banned from access to the tree of life, lest they could eat and live forever, they also lost their perfect garden home. And years later, they lost their son, Abel, at the hands of his brother, Cain. In the end, one of them lost their spouse, and finally the surviving partner lost his or her own life. So many losses came as a result of one decision. Yes, we all know the reality and pain of loss, and most of us feel it the deepest when this loss strikes us in the family. And no wonder, for in the family we have our closest bonds. Thus, loss there in its many varied forms, hits us the hardest. This week, as we continue to look at family life, we will look at it in the context of the various times of loss. Sunday, May 26, Loss of Health We are thousands of years from the Tree of Life, and we all feel it, too, especially when it comes to our physical health. Sooner or later, unless we are killed when young by trauma, we all come to the harsh reality of the loss of health. And, as difficult as the loss of health is, how much more painful when it strikes not just ourselves, but someone in our own family. How many parents have, especially as they have dealt with an ill child, wished it had been them, the parent, who was sick, instead of the child? Unfortunately, we are not given that choice. Question. What do these accounts have in common? And there's one from each of the Gospels. 
Mark 5, verses 22 to 24, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged him. And verses 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all aside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kamai which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. And Matthew chapter 15, verses 22 to 28, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And Luke 4, verses 38 and 39. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left, and immediately she arose and served them. And John 4, verses 46 to 54. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, 
your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. In each of these cases, and no doubt in so many more, it was a family member beseeching Jesus' help for another family member. No question, we recognise that we suffer because we live in a fallen world. When sin entered the world, not only did death enter, but also chronic pain, illness and disease. When faced with a chronic or terminal illness, we may experience shock, anger, despair and even may sound like shouting, as it says in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you deserted me? Why are you so far away? Won't you listen to my groans and come to my rescue? As David did, we'd do well taking our questions, anger and pain, to God. In many ways, sickness and suffering will remain a mystery until death is finally defeated at Jesus' return. At the same time, we can glean important truths from God's word. While Job endured unspeakable pain, he experienced a deeper intimacy with God. He explains in Job 42 verse 5, I heard about you from others. Now I have seen you with my own eyes. Paul had some sort of chronic illness, and how he dealt with it tells us that suffering can equip us to comfort others. It can give us compassion for others who are hurting, and it can enable us to minister more effectively. That is, if we don't allow it to break us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And so to finish today, whether we or family members are suffering with illness, what promises can we claim? Why at times like this is the reality of Jesus our Lord suffering on the cross so important to us? What does Jesus on the cross teach us about God's unfailing love, even amid illness in our family? Monday, May 27, Loss of Trust We are all sinful, dysfunctional people who at some time will prove ourselves to be untrustworthy to someone who trusted us. And who hasn't been the victim of someone else's betrayal of our trust? And as hard as such a loss of trust can be, it's always so much worse when we betray or are betrayed by a family member. Sometimes it may seem easier to cut our losses and run when we decide the relationship isn't worth the effort of rebuilding. Of course, 
It's not so easy when it's a family member, such as a spouse. You could even say that one of the purposes of marriage is to teach us the lesson of how to rebuild trust when it is broken. Question. When trust in a relationship has been compromised, how can both trust and the relationship be healed and saved? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And James 5, verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Rebuilding broken trust is a journey. You must take it one step at a time. The journey begins with a sincere acknowledgement of the hurt and confession of the truth, whatever the offence and whoever the offender. When adultery has been the cause of the breach, healing begins when the betrayer confesses. As part of the healing process, confession must accompany complete openness on the part of the betrayer. There can be nothing that remains hidden, or else when it is found out, and it will be found out, it will destroy the trust that was re-established. And the second time trust is breached, it becomes even harder to heal than the first breach was. Rebuilding trust takes time and patience. The more serious the offence, the more time it will take for it to be repaired. Accept the fact that sometimes it's going to feel as if you are moving two steps forward and three steps backward. One day it seems like there's hope for tomorrow and the next day you feel like running away. Many have, however, been able to rebuild their broken relationship and developed a deeper, more intimate, more satisfying and happier marriage. So to finish the day, what principles in healing a marriage can be used in the cases of other kinds of broken trust? At the same time, what might be a situation in which, though there is forgiveness, there is no more trust, nor should there be? Tuesday, May 28, Loss of Trust Continued Another way that trust is lost is through family violence. Unthinkable as it is, research reveals that the home is the single most violent place in society. Family violence touches all kinds of families, including Christian homes. Violence is an assault of any kind, verbal, physical, emotional, sexual or active or passive neglect that is committed by one or more persons against another in the family. 
question. The Bible includes accounts of family violence, even among God's people. What are your thoughts and feelings as we read these verses? Why do you think these stories were preserved in Scripture? Genesis 37, verses 17 to 28. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colours that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And then in Second Samuel 13, verses 1 through to 22. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went down to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, 
bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon her brother in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. But she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant, who attended him, and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colours, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head, and tore her robe of many colours that was on her, and laid her hand on her head, and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister, he is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, Neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister, Tamar. And Second Kings 16, verse 3. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And Second Kings 17, verse 17. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold them to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. And Second Kings 21, verse 6. Also he made his son pass through the fire, practicing, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Abusive behavior is the conscious choice of a person to exercise power and control over another. It cannot be explained or excused by alcoholism, stress, the need to fulfill sexual desires, the need for better control of anger, or any behaviour of the victim. Victims are not responsible for causing the abuser to abuse. Abusers distort and pervert love, for, as it says in Romans 13.10, love does no harm. Professional treatment can facilitate change in an abuser's behaviour, but only if the person takes responsibility for the behaviour and seeks such help. To those who will open themselves to his presence, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly to help abusers stop abusing, 
to repent of their attitudes and behaviour, to make restitution in every way possible, and to embrace the qualities of agape love, to heal their own hearts and to love others, as we read in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So to finish the day, try to put yourself in the place of someone traumatised by violence. What words of acceptance, comfort and hope would you like to hear? Why is it important to provide safety and caring acceptance rather than offering advice about how to live better with the abuser? Wednesday, May 29. Loss of Freedom God alone knows how many millions, even billions of people, struggle with some form of addiction. To this day, scientists still don't understand exactly what causes it, even though in some cases they actually can see the part of the brain in which the cravings and desires are located. Unfortunately, however, Finding the locations of those addictions is not the same thing as freeing us from the addictions. Addiction is hard on everyone, not just the addict. Family members, parents, spouses, children all suffer greatly when any member of the family is under the control of a power that they just can't seem to get free of. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, pornography, sex... Even food. What makes these things into addictions is the habitual and progressive nature of their use or abuse. You are unable to stop, even when you know that it is harming you. While enjoying your freedom of choice, you become a slave to whatever you are addicted to, and so you actually lose your freedom. Peter has a simple explanation of what an addiction is and its results. In Second Peter 2 verse 19, They promise freedom to everyone, but they are merely slaves of filthy living, because people are slaves of whatever controls them. Question, what are the things that can lead people into addiction? First of all, Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to to righteousness. And James 1 verses 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Sin and addiction are not necessarily the same thing. You can commit a sin that you are not addicted to, though so often it can turn into an addiction. How much better, through the power of God, to stop the sin before it turns into an addiction? And of course, the only lasting solution to the sin and addiction problem is by receiving a new heart, as we read in Galatians 5 and verse 24. Because we belong to Christ Jesus, we have killed our selfish feelings and desires. Paul also explains to the Romans what it means to die to that sinful addictive nature so we can live for Christ, in Romans 6 verses 8 to 13. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And then he adds, in chapter 13, verse 14, Let the Lord Jesus Christ be as near to you as the clothes you wear. Then you won't try to satisfy your selfish desires. And so to finish today, who has not personally known the struggle of addiction, either ourselves or in that of others, maybe even family members? How can you help people realise that it's not an admission of spiritual failure if, even as Christians, they might still need professional help? Thursday, May 30, Loss of Life As human beings, we know the reality of death. We read about it, we see it, and we maybe have even come close to facing it ourselves. Question, read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. How is death described, and why is it described this way? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Who, having lost a loved one, doesn't experience for themselves just how great an enemy death is? On the other hand, the dead have it good. If in the Lord they close their eyes, and in what seems like an instant to them, they are raised to immortality. As we read in The Desire of Ages, page 787, To the believer, death is but a small matter. To the Christian, death is but a sleep, a moment of silence and darkness. The life is hid from Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. End of quote. 
No, it's the living, especially the remaining friends or family members who know the real pain and grief following a death. The fact is that grief is a natural, normal response to loss. It is the emotional suffering we experience when something or someone we love is taken away. The grieving process is not the same for everyone, but in general most people go through several stages. The first and most common reaction to the death of a loved one is shock and denial, even when the death is expected. Shock is your emotional protection from being too suddenly overwhelmed by the loss, and it may last from two to three months. You also may go through a time when you are constantly absorbed by thoughts of your loved one, even during common daily tasks. Often conversations turn to your loss or loved one. This period may last from six months to a year. The stage of despair and depression is a long period of grief, probably the most painful and protracted stage for the griever, during which you gradually come to terms with the reality of your loss. During this stage, you may experience a range of emotions, such as anger, guilt, regret, sadness, and anxiety. The goal of grieving is not to eliminate all your pain or the memories of your loss. In the final stage of recovery, you begin to have a renewed interest in daily activities and to function normally from day to day. And so, to finish today... What comforting thoughts can you find in the following passages? First of all, Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Revelation 21 verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And 1 Corinthians 15 verses 52 to 57. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friday, May 31. Many have suffered as a result of their addictions. They have become slaves to their desires and have lost their money, their jobs, their health and their freedom. But Jesus comes to give us freedom from our sin and from all our addictions. And, as it says in John 8.36, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus also promised that he would always be with us. Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So, We do not have to wage this war alone. In fact, we must remember that the battle is the Lord's. 1 Samuel 17 verse 47 Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And he promises victory in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through the faith by salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you, love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Today we can begin on the road to victory over any addiction and receive the freedom you desire and what God wants for you. This doesn't mean you won't struggle. And it doesn't mean that at times you won't fail. But the good news is that as long as you don't give up on the Lord, He won't give up on you. And yes, there's nothing wrong with seeking professional help too. Just as the Lord can use a medical professional to help you with health problems, He can use a professional counsellor to help with addiction as well. In the book Selected Messages, Book 2, page 268, we read... When difficulties and trials surround us, we should flee to God and confidently expect help from Him who is mighty to save and strong to deliver. We must ask for God's blessing if we would receive it. Prayer is a duty and a necessity, but do we not neglect praise? Should we not oftener 
render thanksgiving to the giver of all our blessings. We need to cultivate gratitude. We should frequently contemplate and recount the mercies of God and laud and glorify His holy name, even when we are passing through sorrow and affliction. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. What part does forgiveness play in loss of trust and in the healing of a broken relationship? First of all, we'll look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 to 15. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And chapter 18 in Matthew, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Question 2. What is the benefit of contemplating and recounting the mercies of God while we're passing through sorrow and affliction? And 3. What are the practical ways your church family as a whole can help those who are struggling with any kind of loss? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled God Had Other Plans and once again it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. As she finished high school, Joanna Clayton devised a plan for college. For the first year, she would enroll in a community college near home in the United States state of West Virginia. This way, she could take basic classes at reduced tuition costs and stay with her parents and three young sisters. After that, she would transfer to a Seventh-day Adventist school to study nursing. But the plan collapsed during the summer. She just couldn't find a way to get to the community college from her parents' rural home. Joanna couldn't obtain a driver's license because her parents, natives of Jamaica, were sorting out the family's U.S. residency papers. Her parents couldn't drive her back and forth, and no public buses stopped near her home. Soon, only a month remained before the start of the school year, and she had nowhere to study. Then her mother, Suzanne, remembered that family friends worked at Weimar Institute in California. Joanna immediately went online and did some research. I don't want to go to California, she told her mother. That's too far away. You should at least think about it and pray about it, her mother replied. Later that day, she did pray. Please don't make me go to California, she said. If I have to go to California, let one of my friends come with me. A week later, Joanna spoke with a Weimar recruiter and began to think that maybe God wanted her to study there. But a major barrier stood ahead. Her parents could cover only the down payment and the first three months of classes. 
Then a series of unexpected events rapidly unfolded. Joanna applied for and received a scholarship. While assisting people affected by local flooding, she connected with several Adventist physicians who pledged $500 a month toward her tuition. She raised $1,800 US dollars by writing financial assistance letters to family friends. Soon she had enough money to enrol and she started classes in the fall. I didn't have any doubt that I was where God wanted me to be, she said. While she missed her family dreadfully for the first few months, the realisation that she was at the centre of God's will encouraged her as she worked 25 hours a week to earn more tuition money. And there's a photograph of Joanna here with a stethoscope around her neck. Joanna, now 19, completed her first year debt-free, and she said God still pays her bills. I work like crazy, and when I do what I can, I say again, Lord, this is what I can provide, now show me what you can do, she said. He works it out for me. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.